Our first scripture reading is uh, from Psalm 116, verses 1 to 9. I love the Lord because the Lord has heard my voice and my supplications. Because God inclined God's ear to me, therefore I will call on the Lord as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord protects the simple. When I was brought low, God saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 13 to 20. Let's listen again together for a word from God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets? He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is a fairly well-known story, I would say, in the grand scheme of of stories in the Bible that we tell each other regularly. Um, Just by a quick show of hands, who has ever heard of Peter the Rock? Yes, that's it. All right, that's that's a lot of folks, yeah. Uh, When I read this story this week, I found myself really trying to imagine how Peter must have felt in this moment. And my first impulse was, to use the the theological term, stoked. (laughs) Does he feel powerful? Does he feel important? Does he feel proud of himself? Like, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus for a while, and if we're honest, They're not great at answering his questions. 
Like, they're not good at it. They get it wrong almost all the time. So it's got to feel good to get it right. Like, I kind of imagine Peter fist-pumping me, like, yes, I got it right. I said the right thing. And then, on top of that, not only has he gotten it right, but Jesus responds by naming him the way that Moses was named, the way that Abraham was named. He gets named, and Jesus says all these amazing things about the rock on which the church will be built and the keys of heaven. He's going to have authority over earth. Like, can you imagine? After years of traveling with Jesus, dusty roads and pressing crowds and puzzling parables and kind of oblique references that you feel like you should be getting there, kind of slipping through your fingers, he asks a question and you finally get it right. That's pretty easy to relate to. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've just been struggling at a thing for a really long time and then something clicks and you have your aha moment? It's Peter's kind of riding high. But my second thought was, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of responsibility. The keys of heaven being the rock on which the church is built. So strong, so devout, so conscientious. Peter, the paragon of faith. Have you ever felt like the weight of the church was on your shoulders? Or the weight of your entire job, your entire family, the entire project, all the next steps? It's heavy. And to be fair to Peter, bless him, he really tries. Three verses from now, Jesus is going to start talking about death and suffering and being killed. And Peter's going to try to step in and pull him aside, offer him reassurance. Be strong for Jesus. In chapter 17, Peter's going to go up a mountain with Jesus and some of the other disciples. And he's going to be the consummate host. He sees Moses, he sees Elijah, and he's like, I can do this, I can host for you guys, I can build you a house. He's going to try to think about what it means to be the rock of the church. He's going to try to lay out rules. He's going to go to Jesus with this great idea, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brothers? Seven times? Super generous, way more than is technically required. And we know he's going to promise to stick by Jesus to the end, death before disloyalty. Peter is earnest. Peter is trying. He's trying so hard to be the rock, to live up to what he believes Jesus has ordained for him. And time after time, under all of that pressure, he cracks. The comfort he offers Jesus? Rebuked. Get behind me, Satan. You are focused on the wrong things. The hospitality he offers Elijah, Moses, and Jesus? Not the point of the transfiguration. He's looking at the wrong things. His magnanimity about seven forgivenesses blown out of the water. Seventy times seven. And we all know what he does at the end. 
in the face of power and death. He crumbles. Peter isn't some paragon of righteousness elevated above the rest. He's not particularly powerful or prophetic or, frankly, even right most of the time. We don't even really get a living faith in Scripture that's primarily shaped by Peter. Most of the New Testament is book is letters from Paul. And while there is a lot to be said still about Peter's humanity and relatability, his misplaced confidence, his focus on the wrong detail, even his well-meaning grandstanding, the thing I really want us to notice in the scripture today, in terms of what we think we can learn from him, is about the very important difference between hearing and listening. Peter hears what Jesus says, and he hears power, he hears responsibility, he hears authority, but he doesn't listen to the content, to the context. He hears blessing, but he misses revelation. He hears prophetic parallels, but he misses why. He hears authority, but not whose authority it is. He hears about a vision for a future glorious church, but he doesn't listen to who's going to build it. God reveals the truth about Christ to Peter. Peter is the mouth. God names a vision for the world, and yes, he names Peter Petros, rock. In Greek, a small rock that someone might throw. But the rock that the church will be built on is Petra, which is like a cliff, a living piece of mountain, a solid thing. God has authority over life and death and what will be. Jin Kim says that when Jesus responds to Peter, he's not responding to Peter's particular strengths and accomplishments, but to his testimony. Who do you say that I am? What is your testimony of me? What is your experience of the living God through my witness and presence? Which means that the church sits always in this place of being both having power, the power that God has vested in the church, the confession that is the church and the powerlessness of our utter inability to hold it on our own. The church is always as strong and somehow at the same time as fragile as each of our faiths as we come together time and time again. Peter is a person, earnest, striving, limited, and he may be a rock, but if we listen, we'll hear that Jesus is the cornerstone. Which, honestly, is good news this morning. We don't have to withstand the pressure. You don't have to hold the whole world in your hands. 
You don't have to single-handedly raise a church or fix a church or fund a church. You don't have to heal the entire world. You don't have to have every answer. Because that's God's job. That's the witness of the ministry, the life and death of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's purview to move in the world, to act, to create, to reach out. You and I, our job is to reach back, to learn how to listen, to learn how to trust, and to sit in the vulnerability of our lives, trusting in a God who encompasses and is present in every moment, the mountains and the valleys, a God for whom, in relation to us, there is no imperative must, there is no impending doom, there is no expectation to fail, there's no pressure. Because the grace of God encompasses us, takes away the responsibility of doing it all on our own, which opens up room for us to be human, together, to breathe into it, to get it wrong, and to come back and to do it again, time after time after time, as one of many rocks upon which the church foundation lays. Together we are the church. It's not one of us who has to have every answer and do it all right in church, in your job, in your family. This is a collective effort. And when we listen to the scripture this morning, I think we have an opportunity to notice all the temptations of what there is to hear about what we could do and the grace and space that exists in listening to a call that is wrapped in the space and grace of God who holds all things in God's hands. May it be so. Amen.